This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer and on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen, we are talking, of course, food. The latest news with Courtney Brandt, including why we actually listen to the five-second rule and a trio of chefs from the Philippines, Peru and Italy, all on hand to tell their story, make you hungry and share some inspirations too. Ahead of going back to school, what should and shouldn't you be putting in your child's lunchbox? And talking sustainability, have behaviours actually changed after that plastic bag ban? We find out. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It's also your last chance to tell me, what's your favourite aisle in the supermarket? Um, my husband suggested this last night. I was like, what do we ask people for, to win 500 dirhams to spend at Spinney's? His other suggestion was, if you were a fruit or a vegetable, what would you be and why? <laughs> well done, Nick. Yeah. Well done to his, to his contributions. His answer was, he'd be a mushroom because he's a fun guy. And then, and then, That's such a dad and, joke, and then I, I love promptly it. pushed him out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney Brandt is with us, food writer extraordinaire. So Courtney... What's your favourite aisle in the supermarket? I have two. So I was just at Spinney's. My Smitty's is the Meadow Spinney's. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. It's one of the big ones. Um, and I just have a great relationship with that Spinney's. <laughs> so I was thinking either I heard you earlier and crisps are definitely good. But yes, when you nice. turn, it's the it's the real snacks. Like there's more crisps oh. and gummies in mine, at least, and chocolate. Oh, I sweet could, I, tooth. Yeah, but it's like, but it's, it's sweet and salty. Snacks. Come to my spinnies sometimes. Snacks. No, I'm very loyal to Jamira. Okay. <laughs> I've got a special relationship with mine as well. So what about you? What is your favourite aisle, your favourite section? For Charlene, health and beauty. I love this. Frozen yogurts and desserts. Cheese is getting a lot of love as well. There's no right or wrong answer. We're going to let the computer do the picking this afternoon. What is your favourite aisle in the supermarket for your chance to win 500 dirhams to spend in Spinney's? 4001. Courtney Brandt, we've got a number of questions for you. Some foodie conundrums I love and some it. blogger questions as well. So we're going to come to that. If anyone wants some advice on where to go, if you've got a bit of a cuisine conundrum, you're looking for a certain place, this is your chance. Also, they're going to look behind the headlines too. Um, One of the stories you brought to us today is about developing food preferences in utero. Yes. Tell us more. So this this really intrigued me that and it's interesting because it's not just about the taste. It's also about textures, all elements of food we get from early on. Um, And is it an evolutionary development? Is it, it, it's just, it's so interesting that also what you're eating, of course, uh, as a woman and you're, if you're pregnant, that can pass, pass on and pass through. Through the, uh, through the fluid, through the cord. I'm interesting because (laughs) my, I mean, I had the most middle-class pregnancy cravings you can imagine smoked salmon and lemon sorbet i mean that's so nice yeah that's not i've had friends whose pregnancy cravings were i just wanted crunchy vegetables i'm like good for you love i wanted i wanted pasta bake (laughs) frequently yes smoked salmon i don't even think know if i was allowed to have and like really sharp citrusy things okay but it, it, it is interesting because when you think about certain nationalities certain spice levels you know, how much does that influence yep. the, the palate before that baby's even born? Because, of course, you're going to be perhaps weaning a child on, you know, foods that are naturally part of your part yep. of your life. Interesting indeed. I, I think my mom for sure did not eat a single olive because <laughs> I reject them completely. Same. <laughs> Same. Get them away from me. Let me know any pregnancy cravings. I'd be I'd be intrigued to see to see what happened out there. Um, now. 
five second rule is yes. something we have um, really adopted in our house. I'd say we're pretty fast and loose with it, to yep. be honest. But if we can get there before the dog, it's fair game. Is there any truth in it, and what are the origins? So it, this is this is another. I was just full of fascinating facts this week. Um, so it's wildly unscientific, but they, <laughs> somebody has tracked this back to. Um, okay, of course, there's bacteria everywhere. Everywhere. But we could go to Genghis Khan in the 14th century, and as the Mongolian kind of you know ruler, he could decide how long something is on the floor before you can eat it. So I don't know if that's where we get what? it from. Yes, it's bananas. Uh, but no, I think um, there is. It's just one of those things. It's got, yeah. it's got to depend on the food. It's got to depend on the yes. floor. Yes, I would I agree. say if it's like you know toast jam side down. On a grubby carpet. That's, Five seconds is way too long. That's going in the bin. That's going totally. in the bin. Totally. Yes. I've got some messages for you. Some sure. questions. Okay. One here saying, um, and this is relating to you as a food writer, um, using your platform on social media, Google as well, saying, how can I legally be a mystery client at venues and then review them honestly online? Are there any issues involved like defamation or libel? Great question from Elisa. It is a great question. So I think this is an interesting territory. I would almost say that the most beneficial, uh, if you're doing a mystery dining situation, that the best feedback is going to go directly to the client. Mm -hmm. So even for me, when I'm dining out, I've had some recent experiences. I feel it's best to to deliver that directly. Um, And uh, I've been trying to shop that around for a while. I I do think, though, we do need to be careful here and we need to be cognizant that people work hard. So even though subjectively I might not enjoy a place, you might love it. Mm -hmm. And there is, you know, you, you just have to really draw that line. So I would say to this person, excellent idea. Great. What's your background, you know, and, and who can you give that to? They will actually action those things. Yeah, I think there's there's a really good balance about, yeah, what not necessarily what your credentials, not like what have you, have you, you know, are you, are you a chef? But <laughs> I have to be really careful. Just, just because you have a platform, should you use it? Yeah. You know, because it's one thing to go into a restaurant and say, that was rubbish. It's another thing to say, do you know what? We waited 45 minutes before we, we got a menu and when it arrived, this was cold. The food, you know. What, Those what are, are all facts. What, yeah. Those are all facts. There's a real, you know, there's a real difference between being factually and constructive yes. um, in, in a review and something just, sometimes just going out to slate somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would err on the side of caution. That's that, what I would do. I think that's very yeah. sensible. Message here saying, my mother's craving was coal to eat. I think that's called pika, P-I-K. Yes, yes. And when you, there's like minerals and things and like, like being from the American South, like dirt, you know, like people just really want those. Pika is a condition where a person compulsively eats things that aren't food that have no nutritional value. It's an urge. Oh, gross. Paint, Um, paint, coal, dirt, clay, Ice. I, I eat ice. Apparently, I've got an iron deficiency. That's why I like crunching oh. ice. Oh. Apparently. There you go. Oh, pika is for chalk. Oh, I think apparently it's all non-food items. There you go. Um, and a message here. I love this. It's from Emily and Paul. Mm-hmm. Hi, both. Yes. Um, saying we're looking for a great roast dinner for the weekend, taking the kids. Now, I don't know if, if this is me growing up in the UK where Sundays were getting the Sunday papers, having a Sunday roast. But since the weekends changed in Dubai, I didn't care about a roast dinner on a Saturday. Now we've got a Saturday, Sunday weekend. Yes. I'm mad for them. I think you're not alone, actually. I've heard uh, there's a lot of places. So I'm excited if they can wait one week, Weston is going to offer like a mega one. Ooh. And I'm going to go check that out in the next two weeks. I've heard like I know who's behind it. So I think if you can you're wait. such a tease. I know. So but is it an, a, a name? Like um, a, 
it's so it's the uh, West Minas Yahi, but I think it's in the like where the Bubblicious space is. Okay, yeah, but but roast. If it's they have to go this weekend, Hill House over in Dubai Hills. I was just about to say that I bumped into a friend last weekend, and she 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 was like, um, "Yeah, we're going to go for a, a Saturday roast." Oh my goodness, I hope they're doing it on Saturday. And she's free, quick on the Hill House <laughs> website going, "No, no, they do a weekend roast," um, which apparently again is super super um, family friendly. Now, we had a great brunch last weekend we for did. Book Club, Mimi Kakushi at the Four Seasons. Absolutely brilliant one. What are your weekend plans coming up? I ha- I'm taking it easy. I'm going to one of my favorite beach clubs, Drift. Oh, it is my go-to uh, spot. They've got a new menu that I'm going to check out. Um, and then next week, I'm actually really looking forward to RSVP, uh, a new French-inspired uh, restaurant in Box Park. Interesting. That's yes. my neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, at last... Is it awfully or folly? I or never folly. know. Or, or folly. I, I, I don't know, but that's the, like, I don't know. I need, I, I'm going to text him. <laughs> Just have him record his own name. Or folly. <laughs> yes. Um, after we had Mohammed on the show a couple of weeks ago, I think I called him O'Farley. I hope yeah. I did. I yeah. hope I got it right, Mo, if you're listening. <laughs> um, for dinner with some friends. And then, because I haven't had a custard tart for, oh, it's been about 10 days now, Courtney. The withdrawal symptoms are real. Uh, Lana Lusa, Lusa yeah. um, which is very close it's to the 51 for uh, Pasta Nata. And uh, for those who aren't aware, they're also at Time Out Market. So you could, yes. Are they? Are they part of that new wave? So when yes. when 21 grams came in, um, so they're there as well. You can get, because the last time I was there, I was like, ooh, do you know what goes home with me quite well? Yes. A custard tart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, Massachusetts saying best roast, the green room at the Owls Club. Now, green room is what was the pangolin. Oh, okay, and sure. apparently they do a really good, this is, now this is, this is Helen's happy place, a swim at brunch on a Saturday. I mean, put those hands together. Um, and yeah, apparently a good roast as well. I am. Um, I, I I need to do better at my job. I didn't know such a thing existed. Right. This is this is <laughs> this, this is challenge extended. We're going to do a roast roundup, um, and I will happily. The big question is with or without. It's O'Farley. Thank you, Omar. Thank you. Um, <laughs> with or without Yorkshire puddings, and I don't think it's a just. I don't think it's up for discussion. Obviously, with. Yeah, you need that. Bre- like, no. I, I, I even. I'm not even British. I, I think that's not it's even a, a question. It's a given. Yes. it's an absolute given. So enjoy yourself this weekend. Have a good one. Now you've got your newsletter, which comes out every single weekend, which has got links and reviews and a bit of foodie gossip as well. Yes. I'm, um, not, I'm not saying give away what's in this weekend's, but <laughs> how can people get it? They can go to my Instagram, which is underscore Courtney Brandt underscore and it's in my link tree anything you would need and signing up is absolutely free we're getting more roast recommendations guys this is this is phenomenal um, beige at the Ritz Carlton DIFC and Gordon Ramsay's Hell Kitchen perfect Caesar Palace best Sunday roasts okay do you know what we should do a farmer's kitchen roast dinner meetup. Love that. Listeners, I'm going to have a chat. We're 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 going to we're going to go on the road. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm in. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinnies. Eat well, live well. We are living well today. We've got some great chefs offering up some ideas, some inspiration, a little bit of chat about what happens behind the scenes now. Is cooking enough? We might think that Chefs are based solely in the kitchen, but that has definitely changed. What else comes under their remit from social media, special projects? We're talking about the pressure on their shoulders. And joining us now is Chef Roberto Segura. He's the exec chef of Infinity Concept, which includes Taboo and some other things he's got cooking away in the kitchen behind the scenes. Chef, so nice to have you with us. How are you this Friday? Really happy, really happy. It doesn't look like a Friday at all. It's a, it's a happy day. It's a happy day. <laughs> it is. You've got the biggest smile. It's so, so lovely to have you. I want to ask you first, though. Where's your favourite aisle in the supermarket? 
Well, um, I think it's going to be toiletries. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably in my top five, actually. Okay, yeah. thank you for thank you for your honesty. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Peru. Wow, and you've been in Dubai for for eleven years. Oh yeah, my I came from far, far away to all the way to. Dubai. Tell us about growing up in Peru because Peruvian cuisine has been, you know, massive trend over the last couple of years. I'd never really been familiar with it. But how does it compare what Peruvian restaurants serve internationally to what you were eating growing up as a child? So Peruvian cuisine has a, it had a, an incredible uh, transition in the past 15 years. So obviously the food that I grew up having at home is nothing to do with what I'm cooking today. Um but if I have to resume what uh, Peruvian cuisine is, is based on ingredients, is based on culture and tradition. Um, that I think they are very important pillars of any any cuisine in the world. And plus, on top of that, we put the creativity and the skills of um, chefs like me. Um, and then we, you know, jump the food, uh, the, the cuisine outside Peru, and now it's one of the top three cuisines in the world. It's been, it's had quite the moment. It really, really has. And it's been wonderful to see kind of lesser known cuisines really being celebrated. Growing up in Peru then, did you think about being a chef as a child or did it kind of come to you a bit later on? So it, to be honest, I come from a family that, you know, my family, uh, my mother is an accountant, my father is an economist, my brother is finance, a uh, master. And um, I wanted to be a chef. So you being an international <laughs> top chef is the black sheep of the family. That's yeah, so funny. I am totally the black sheep of the family. <laughs> Nowadays, not more, no, not anymore. But uh, in the beginning, yeah, it was it was a difficult uh, thing to say to my parents. Um, I felt um, the passion of cooking since I was 11 years old. Um, that was the first time I actually cook. Uh, obviously, supervising the kitchen. If I do this today, somebody will put me in bad news only over Instagram about no. bad father. <laughs> My daughter is seven. She's making herself some scrambled eggs in the morning. And, okay, you know, I keep, there you I, I keep a, a, a kind of watchful eye. It's just very useful to have a child that can cook. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is actually. Um, so I felt that emotion to cook. Um, the first people that I cooked for was my parents, obviously, um, and then my friends, and then my brother's friends. Um, every time I, I, I start cooking and I put the plates on the food, on the table, um, I was waiting for a reaction in their faces. So when I see happiness, I realize that's something that makes me, um, it gives me the opportunity to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And that's my my motto until today. And your motivation, that's what keeps you going through the, exactly. the long hours. And it's no secret, I mean, anyone growing up would understand that you know chefs are mostly working at night and you're the ones that are going to be working on the weekends and the holidays and the high days when everyone else wants to go out and enjoy themselves but it does seem to have evolved as a job and a role over the last few decades and we love pointing the finger at social media but I do think that has been a big part of it what's it been like on the inside then how have you seen that that job change um, it definitely it changed a lot. Um, not for everyone, but uh, it changed a lot. It evolved. Um, I feel like um, the whole is evolving. The, the whole world is evolving. And together with that one profession like us, that is uh, being a chef, that is uh, um, such an important part of, you know, everyone needs to eat. Right? And if you eat good food, even better. So uh, for us, uh, when I started to be a chef, it was really hard. It was really um, demanding, stressful. Uh, as you say, long hours, no weekends, no holidays, uh, no family time. Um, at one point, when you're growing your career and then you start actually 
getting uh, uh, different positions and then you come up um, executive chef or head chef or culinary creator, you name it. Um, you get to accommodate your timings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the presence of a chef today is not like 10 years ago. You know, today the restaurant goes, the, the people goes to restaurants and they actually want to talk to the chef. Absolutely. They want to have the opportunity to meet him or mm-hmm. to take a picture. Um, so that obviously changed and give you an extra motivation to, to do your job. We've just been talking off air about a new concept chef that's going to be coming to the hotel. So I'm curious. You So let's say, as a, as a company, you identify a space and think, this could be performing better, or there's an opportunity to do something different here. What kind of research do you do, whether it's to do with you know community and demands or travelling and trends, when it comes to creating a concept to really plug a gap or excite people here in Dubai? Yes, exactly. So we, we as a company, uh, create concepts. And my, my expertise, obviously, is the culinary creating um, space. And... Um, there is a lot of research uh, behind that. I, I enjoy this. I love to do that part of the opening, the process of research, of uh, traveling, as you say, for example. Um, we are working a new concept called, um, actually, I cannot say the oh, name. You're so uh, close to saying it. I was, I was about to say it, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's going to be a really, really, really um, uh, amazing concept. And I travel to the country of... Um, you can't even say that. Uh, <laughs> I travel to another country to do a research, uh, to a beautiful city. And uh, I spent uh, beautiful days there eating and getting to understand the culture, the the crockery that they use, the colors that they use, the paintings, the the the, the art. Uh, all that then is reflected into a menu, right? So the, the the process to create a menu based on something, obviously I'm Peruvian, so if I'm doing something from any other country, um, it, it tends to be a lot of intense research in based to do that. Uh, and that's what I love about my job, it's creating. Like, sounds like a dream. Now, as I said, social media has changed food in many, many different ways. I also think it's changed the way we view chefs. As you said earlier, people wanting photos with the chef, chefs becoming celebrities within their own right. And of course, we've always said, you know, you eat with your eyes. But now people also consume food with their phones and there's photos of, of what they're eating going on social media. How much do you think about that when you're creating a menu and even, you know, a, a particular dish? Totally. It's, it's, it's the first thing that uh, obviously comes to mind. Um, as I say, I'm a culinary advisor and consultant and, and I have different clients um, and most of them come to me with pictures from Instagram <laughs> telling me, I want this. <laughs> it's like, okay, you want that or you want uh, something that looks like that? Mm. Um, and that's that's basically what people see today. They see a beautiful dish, they want it. They don't know what is inside. They don't know if they're allergic to They don't know if it's spicy or not. But they want that dish because it looks beautiful. And there is a, a guy throwing salt next to it. <laughs> <laughs> no names. But I also think it's about that moment as well. Yeah. You know, sometimes you'll see, you look over in a restaurant there and everyone's suddenly got their phones now. It's because, you know, someone's about to pour dry ice or, you know, reveal a kind of cloche and something's coming out. And, it, you know, we go, we go out for food and we go out for excitement and conversation. But sometimes it is about those <gasps> moments as well. A bit of drama. What's on the menu at Taboo that's kind of got people taking photos and, you know, tagging you? 
So I'm a, I'm a people chef, uh, chef, sorry. So I, I, I love to be in contact with people in the restaurant. So I'm a, kind of a host when people go to a restaurant. I, I talk to them. I, I don't even dress like a chef, uh, like in a normal chef jacket. My chef jacket looks like a samurai jacket. Cool. Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, so I, I approach uh, uh, customers and I actually wait to see the same reaction that I used to see my parents um, without even telling them I'm the chef. So, um, and then I get the feedback from them. I get to know what they really like, what they're looking for. So when I create the menu of Taboo, which is obviously a um, um, show kitchen, it's a, it's a lot of um, things happening on the table with the food. I took in consideration at least two or three dishes from the, each section of the menu to be finished at the table. Mm-hmm. That's the, a kind of a personal touch. It gives you the opportunity to interact with customers, to know how they're feeling, to know what they really like to see on the dish. Um, some of them, for example, is the call uh, Black Black Cooked. Is um, do you know the black coat that everyone serves with miso and stuff like that? So I created a really black black coat, um, and it's super cool. Everyone is is the top seller of the of the restaurant. Um, it's a it's a paint basically. It's a paint. It's a piece of art. It's super simple, but it looks very impressive. And it comes with a smoke uh, on the table, so. Um, it's funny because people, you arrive with a dish that is hot on the table and they're like, wait, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And everyone's pulling quick, out quick, the phones. Quick, quick, quick. And everything. Yeah, guilty, yeah. totally guilty. But, um, la- but lastly, before I let you go, let's put aesthetics aside. Yeah. Is there one dish on that menu that tastes like you on a plate? It's your foodie philosophy. It's everything you believe in. It's everyone you want that, you know, that's going to bring a smile to someone's face. If we're going to go to the restaurant this weekend, we're going to go to Book Taboo. What should we be ordering, Chef Roberto? I mean, I just say the black, black coat. Okay. <laughs> Taste, <laughs> fashion I, and function. I swear. It's, it's, I always dress in black. <laughs> that thing is black. <laughs> it's you on a plate. It's me on a plate. If yeah. people want to check out your work, follow you on Instagram, what's the best way of getting in touch? Um, very simple. Um, Roberto Segura, that's my last name, uh, double underscore. Thank you so much, Chef. I know Fridays are valuable, so I appreciate your time. Get back to the kitchen and uh, we'll talk to you very soon because I know the days are long, um, but it's absolutely worth it. Chef Roberto joining us from Infinite Concepts. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are giving you ideas about eating at home, eating out, and love your recommendations as well. So if you've been anywhere special recently or indeed have a bit of a foodie conundrum, get in touch. Courtney Branch, food writer extraordinaire, will be joining us at four to give us some ideas and happy to take any questions you might have as well. We're meeting a chef now who has a real range of experiences. He's Filipino, but specialising in different cuisines, Greek, Italian, French, Mediterranean and American as well. And he's worked at enormous companies, amazing hotels, um, but also became the in-flight chef, the first-class guest at Etihad Airways as well. Joining us now is Chef Anthony Pelea. He's the head chef at Zoe Modern Greek, Modern Greek in Abu Dhabi. And Anthony joining us live. Thank you, Chef. How are you today? Uh, very good. How are you, Helen? I'm well. Thank you so much for being with us. I know Fridays are pretty busy in, uh, in hospitality, so do value your time. As I said, Filipino, how long, uh, how long have you been in the UAE for? Um, going on 10 years this year. Oh, it's going to be your Dubai birthday. I think uh, I had hoped when I hit 10 years in Dubai, there was going to be some kind of, well, at least some fireworks or I'd be given, you know, a white patrol, something. And so it sadly passed. I just, I just had to renew my driver's license. But congratulations on it. On it on... <laughs> Tell us about growing up in the Philippines. What were you eating and who was cooking in your home? 
Uh, both of my parents did a lot of the cooking at home. Um, the food was a mix of Filipino cuisine and uh, whatever my sisters and I craved at the time. If there was a dish or uh, a dessert that we had eaten at, uh, at a hotel or a restaurant that we really enjoyed, my mom would recreate it at home for us. So we, we would eat a lot of different cuisines as well. You're lucky. I, I, I don't think my mom's listening today. But there was no, my mum was not recreating dishes we'd had in restaurants and hotels <laughs> at all. But that must have given you a real, please excuse the pun, um, you know, hunger for exploration and travel and and really just an appreciation of food. When do you think that you wanted to be a chef, Anthony, and make this your, your life? Uh, when... Um... I'll be very honest with you. Uh, growing up, I always wanted to become a basketball player. I think uh, every Filipino kid dreams of that at one point in his life. Um, and I got pretty good at it. I played varsity my entire high school life. But in my senior year, when it was time to make a decision about where to go for college, I realized that I loved eating more than I liked putting a ball through a hoop and running around for training all day. So I thought the best way for me to eat really good food was uh, to learn how to make it myself. Quite right. And my parents were very supportive uh, of that decision. And so after high school, I took up culinary arts and I haven't looked back since. As I said, you've had um, a high-flying career. Tell us about creating food at altitude, you know, for first-class guests aboard planes. What kind of things do you have to have have to consider you know whether it's flavor profiles or practicalities about serving food um as i said first class on a plane um yeah some of the things that you need to consider uh, are uh, like how particular the guests are because of you know the amount of money they're paying and and they do have certain standards oftentimes the guests will uh, send us uh, like request what items they want beforehand and we're given um a plethora of ingredients to work with as well on board. And we can create our own menus to match what they feel like eating throughout the flight. And it it often um, reflects the country that we're going to as well or coming back from. I didn't know that. That's really cool to kind of give people either a a bit of a a taste of what's to come or to to bring back some memories as well. Let's, Let's talk food and travel. As I said, you are from Philippines, but cooking Greek cuisine, what is it about Greek food that you love, Chef Anthony? What, what is it that you feel you've got to, to add to it as well? Um, uh, I like the simplicity of, of Greek food and yet the, uh, the flavor profiles, the how, how, how homey it feels. Um, I worked with a Greek chef for about a month and a half straight and he really taught me about the philosophy that goes behind Greek cuisine. And I just fell in love with it after working with him. And so it, it, it's a wonderful cuisine and I, I'm trying to put my my little touches here and there. In fact, next next month I'm I'm going to Greece for, uh, for about 10 days to try and um, get better acquainted with, with the, the Greek cuisine and hopefully bring that knowledge back to Zoe's kitchen. For anyone that wants to create it at home, are there any maybe three ingredients that you feel are absolute essentials for our fridge or pantry when it comes to eating Greek? Just a, a lot of feta cheese, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. Um, I need to ask you the... 
I have to say, often dreaded question that we ask many chefs on the show, which would be your desert island menu. Chef Anthony Pelea, if I was going to send you to a desert island and not a nice one, the food is going to be absolutely terrible. But the night before you go, you get to have the meal of your dreams. A starter, main or dessert or indeed any configuration. It could be three quarters of feta cheese, if you like, sir. Um, But it could be food from your childhood. It could be food from your travels. It could be something you've always dreamt of eating but haven't yet. Can you share what your last meal would be, chef? Starter. Uh, yes, I, I must confess it's, it's not going to be very exciting. I'm a very simple guy. I love comfort food. And so uh, my I, f- I find my answer will vary depending on my mood the night before I you send me off to that island. Chef, I change but my mind always... every time I ask this question. Sometimes I'm like, cheese, <laughs> yeah, exactly. cheese and pickle sandwich, prawn cocktail, my mum's lasagna, <laughs> roast dinner. <laughs> so, for, yes, But yes. for today, what would it be? Uh, it would probably be pizza, fried chicken and a brownie. Oh, chef, I love you so much for that answer. <laughs> I absolutely do. The, truly, I think you've I think you've spoken what so many of us, so many of us are thinking. And lastly, you know, you've done so incredibly well in your career so far. We've just been talking to Chef Roberto about how the life of a chef has changed really over the last decade or so. You know, more responsibility on shoulders, expectations of social media, special projects, podcasts even. What advice would you have to anyone listening today or anyone who might have children who want to get into the culinary world, maybe be a chef? What do you think it takes and, and what, where do you think the opportunities are? Well, when I started my career um, a very long time ago, it was it was very different from how it is now. Uh, there were no celebrity chefs back then, and um, it, like social media didn't exist, and so it's a very different time. Uh, it, it's a lot of hard work, and if if you're getting into it just to become a celebrity chef, it, it's quite difficult to choose that career path. But if if you really have a passion for food and you love to eat and you love to see the reaction of people when they eat your food, then uh, buckle up because it's not going to be an easy ride. <laughs> but worth it, I hope. I can see from the yeah, smile how, how much yes. you love it. Yes. If anyone's going to go to Zoe over the weekend for some Greek food, this is your chance to make us hungry. What are a couple of your favorite dishes that are absolute must-tries? Um, well, I do love our octopus dish. It takes a very long time to get it done right, but it, it, I, I believe personally that it's one of our best dishes there. We have a very good moussaka as well, uh, very traditional. Um, and my personal favorite is the pastitio croquette. Oh, that sounds interesting. Is that sweet or savory? They're all savory dishes. And do you have, it sounds like if you're having a brownie, you have a sweet tooth. What's on the dessert menu? Uh, the dessert menu, we right now for summer, uh, since mangoes are in season, we have a really nice mango cheesecake that we serve on the, uh, we served it, it to look like a mango, basically. So when it comes to your table, it looks like you're having a slice of mango, but it's actually a cheesecake. And we also have our uh, burnt cheesecake, which is very nice. Chef. Job done. Everyone's hungry now. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Really do appreciate you speaking to us from the nation's capital today and hopefully make a trip down. Sounds absolutely delicious. Enjoy Greece. Come back with some ideas, some inspiration and continue to feed us very well indeed. Chef Anthony Pelea speaking to us from Zoe Modern Greek Cuisine in Abu Dhabi. Where have you been recently? Have you had a fantastic meal, discovered a new restaurant or is an old favourite that you always want to come back to? I've honestly discovered some fantastic 
places because of where you've been, where you've been exploring. So happy to repay the favour by introducing you to some great chefs and some great restaurants. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are talking about where to go this weekend and who is in the kitchen. And joining us now in the studio is a chef who has worked for more than a couple of Michelin-starred restaurants. And he's joining one of Dubai's newest Michelin-starred restaurants, Tuna Subito Dubai, as the new chef de cuisine. Hello and welcome to the show, Chef Alessio. You've been in Dubai just a month. Had you had you been to Dubai before you moved here? No, it's my <gasps> first time. Hi, Ellen. Whoa. I would say that's brave, but you're joining a restaurant, as I said, that has won a Michelin star, has got Massimo Baturo behind it. So to my mind, for any chef, that's a bit of a dream gig. Yeah, how, it is. How did it's... it how did it come about? Yeah, we um, I was working in China before and I get in touch with um Francescana management. So in the end, uh, we we decide to work together, so it's kind of dream come true. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with Massimo Baturo, what what is his name? What does his work mean in Italy, but to chefs in particular? Well, for us, it's it's like uh, it's like a, um, a Superman. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a hero. It's a hero. It's such an inspiration and energy, and uh, we we we, go, we get inspired from him every day. Oh, when's he coming back? In the meantime, though, we are so lucky to have you here. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Italy. Um, where where are you from? And what were some of the dishes that got you interested in becoming a chef? Yeah, I'm from Abruzzo, which is a region in the centre of Italy. Uh, it's a very simple region. We are mainly producing like grapes, wine, good wine, olives. Uh, we also were noted as a good producer of pasta, dry pasta. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a normal house. Uh, not all my uh, parents uh, was involved into hospitality, but my grandmother was uh, like a chef uh, of a hotel. Yes. So and, you had uh, like the ultimate nonna. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I was pretty impressive from her mm-hmm. and uh, I was super, super uh, interesting into food. And uh, that's why... It's one thing to have, you know, a grandmother that cooks and be interested in food, but then to take it to the next level and decide to travel the world and and work as a chef. Where have you been over the years? Which countries that have, you know, really influenced you both for travel but also professionally? Yeah, uh, let's say it's it's all started from the school because my school was not uh, in in into my city. It was pretty far, like one and a half hour. So I had kind of uh, campus, right? And uh, after that, I start to work in part northern part of Italy, uh, such as Milan or in the mountain for the seasonal, for the winter season. And then I touch uh, in Spain, uh, UK, Germany, and my last uh, experience was in China. And now uh, you're yeah, here yeah. on our sandy shores. Um, it was a huge deal when Massimo Bottura opened up Sotto and Subito in Dubai to choose, you know, W the Palm for really an international outpost. Um, For anyone that hasn't been, when you think about what that restaurant is representing, what it's serving, what its kind of heart and philosophy is all about, how do you describe it? But the concept itself, it's um, uh, a dream of Massimo, uh, throwback to the 60s uh, during La Dolce Vita on the um, Riviera Romagnola, Rimini. So um, I want you to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> la Dolce Vita, you mean? Yeah. Yes, La Dolce Vita. So 
Yeah, it's starting from this. So the first impression, it's really this. It's full of color, full of, uh, you know, sign of the time. Mm -hmm. And plus the food, the food is uh, pretty authentic Italian in a modern twist. So we starting from a regional, regional recipe, but we develop uh, in modern, I mean, with a modern touch. Tunis Bito, if you haven't been, is W the Palm from one of the most, I mean, I really can't understand this, uh, understate this rather, the most important chefs of our generation, Chef Massimo Pettura, who has put his a really fun stamp on Italian cuisine. We said they're kind of harking back to that Dolce Vita, the, the 60s, the, the coastline, the fun, and of course, the food. So Chef Lessio, you've taken over from Chef Bernardo, who had a lot of fun with the menu. He made his pink pasta, which is a bit of a, a bit of a cheeky wink to people who want to come in and have that tomato and cream sauce, but he's made it with beetroot. So here's my question to you. How are you going to put your own stamp on the menu? And when you saw it, when you came in to do that handover, where did you think, "Ooh, I'm going to have some fun with this"? Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, my goal is to stay on the same uh, line of uh, Torno Subito because uh, it, it have made uh, a great job during the past three years. So my focus is to keep this standard and uh, put my touch, but still uh, Torno will be the same um, ironic and um, exciting uh, concept. Because it is, it's whimsical, it's, it's, it's entertaining, but you still get that amazing quality of food. For anyone that hasn't been, do you think there's a dish that you think that's the st- we need? We're keeping that. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure the tagliatelle. Yes, um, it's the tagliatelle um, chef favorite from the Massimo, which is made with three cuts of uh, beef. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I believe it's amazing. It's amazing dish, and uh, much more of that, like tiramisu as a dessert, and. Yes, also the, the pink, the pink the pasta, pink pasta is great. it's a great needs, dish. Needs to stay. Um, a question from Aslan, um, and we have chefs on the show. And it's always about hearing what you've been through, about your work and your plans. And Aslan saying that he wants to become a chef. Um, what do you advise as a starting point? And chefs get their starts in all different ways. Sometimes it's working in, you know, washing dishes in a, in a pub and working up through the ranks. Sometimes it's going to culinary school. Sometimes it's having a career change late in life and there's no right or wrong how old were you and you said you went to school what would you tend to recommend for a chef today looking to start for sure i i suggest to um be clear about your dreams what you really want from this this job because it's very important and to choose a mentor because without mentor, you need someone who tra- tra- transfers you to you the, the right knowledge. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion is to be curious, to be humble in the same times and uh, dreaming. Now, you obviously have had some amazing mentors over your years and now you are there at Chef de, Chef de Cuisine. What do you look for in staff? Because I'm sure you're now getting resumes, people wanting to join the team at, team at Tonosubito. When it comes to recognising talent or attitude, what gives you kind of hope this could be someone to join, join the team? Yeah, I believe it should be a good balance. I mean, talent without attitude, it's um, having, you know, a deadline. So... Um, I'm very happy to be here because uh, there is such a diversity. Uh, I can have different uh, people from all over the world 
And um, basically, I just want to look in their eyes and feel the dream, you know, like they, they're dreaming. They are here not just for uh, working the shift and go back, but they have a dream. And I will, I, my, my big dream is to help them to, to reach their dreams. Oh, crikey. I got a bit more emotional than I was expecting, Alessio. <laughs> so tell us then, tonight, what are you looking forward to cooking at? For anyone that's coming to Tony Subito over the weekend, what are the plans, what's on the menu, and what are you excited about? Yeah, I would like to everyone try our best of, which is the set menu to celebrate our Mission Star Award. <gasps> Congratulations again. Yes, and during the weekend, you can also come and uh, lay back for the brunch on Saturday and uh, is it so I'm, I'm curious that you are you familiar with the the, fr- the well, I keep on saying Friday the Saturday brunch Dubai experience this is a, this is a whole cultural movement in Dubai so I'm looking forward yeah, to getting I'm a bit your used to it. I'm good not man really... <laughs> <laughs> so let's we'll we'll catch up I'm sure between now and the next Michelin announcement which will be around kind of June time next year but we're going to go for two stars Let's see. We never know. We've got to make Massimo happy. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Lasso, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio. Wonderful to have you in Dubai. Wishing you, you and the team all the very best again. Congratulations again on that star. And looking forward to seeing what you bring to the menu to an already sure. incredible restaurant there. Chef Lasso, the new chef de cuisine at Tuna Subito Dubai. Uh, there at W. The Palm. Get yourself there over the weekend. As I said, fantastic Saturday brunch. Um, and just brilliant to be recognising talent here in the UAE. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I wish with all my heart I was a Pinterest mum who takes genuine pleasure in creating, I don't know, what do people do? Make little sandwiches that look like sheep and, you know, all of that lunchbox, bento box stuff. It it doesn't work like that in our household to be truthful I probably could be putting a lot more time research and energy into what the kids are eating at school but I'm probably not alone in that what we do need though is a bit of expert advice about what should be in there about nutrition so registered dietitian Ahat Sajani is with us today Um, she's at Valiant Hospital and is happy to take some questions as well we've already had a number on uh, some specific situations so please get in touch if you're worried about the nutrition that your kids are having or indeed not having Um, Ahat thank you for being with us today really do appreciate your time and I'm sure it's a busy time Um, I think my kids' diets have gone absolutely haywire over the summer. There's been no structure, no routine, and uh, rarely a fruit or vegetable. So you might be getting some questions from me as well. <laughs> so can, can we talk about what, what nutritionally we should be looking to include in a lunchbox and why nutrition for kids, especially in the middle of the day, is so important? Thanks so much for having me, Helen. You're welcome. Um, so... I think more than what should be in, included in a lunchbox, what, what's more important is the balance of the foods. So I'm sure, you know, when it comes to adults, we always talk about combined protein with carbohydrate, make sure you have all the vegetables on the plate. And that gets t- very difficult to do in a lunchbox situation. But we need to make sure the kids are well fueled so they have proper brain function, they have energy throughout the day and stable energy. And they don't experience an energy slump. The last thing you want is your child coming back home from school completely drained and, you know, acting like they could eat everything that's Mm. in the house. So that's that's the one thing you want to prevent. 
The only way to do that is to prevent any sugar spikes in the middle of the day. So we don't want anything with too much carbohydrate. We don't want anything with too much added sugar. We don't want anything sweet at any point during the day. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need carbohydrate. We just don't want carbohydrate-focused meals. So, for example, a lot of the times we're making oatmeal, you know, thinking it's a very healthy breakfast, and there's nothing else in the oatmeal except the oats and maybe some milk or some water. And that's where the issue lies. Um, that's in kids, in adults. So we don't want a carbohydrate-focused meal. Okay. Let's talk about some good options then. For, you really worried me. <laughs> By talking about nothing sweet, because I'm thinking, yeah, stick a yogurt in there, and that's what they've been having since they were little. And I know, I know, you're not going to say yogurt's a bad thing, but there is no, no chance on this planet that my kids would go, oh, thanks, mum, I love just a natural Greek yogurt. They would, they'd throw it back in my face. So I'm thinking about like trans, how to transition. But let's let's talk about some main meal ideas, because as you say, growing kids, running around, we don't want that energy slump. What what would you like to see as, I guess, the focus of a lunchbox? Okay, so the focus, we need to have three major things in a lunchbox. One is a protein source. One is any kind of fiber source. So that would be majority of the times vegetables. And then the last thing we want is a whole grain carbohydrate. Um, so, for example, if you put these three together, what you could do is you could get a whole grain pasta with, if you're not vegetarian, some chicken in it. If you're vegetarian, maybe some tofu in it. Um, and then plenty of vegetables to be able to bring that all in together. Uh, pasta is a very child friendly food as well. So that ties into a lot of things. It does take a little bit of prep. Um, so you do need to prep this either early in the morning if you have the time. A lot of people don't. Uh, but the previous night can do as well. No problem. But the three things are very important. Uh, when we talk about the balance of how much of the vegetables, you know, you could be putting one stem of broccoli and saying there was vegetables. So ideally, in an ideal situation, what you do want is you want to have equal carbohydrate, equal vegetables. So if you're putting one cup of pasta, you want to put one cup of vegetables to kind of balance that out. I've got, I need to come and see you. I really do. Because we've been known to sling a jam sandwich in a lunchbox and send them on their way. Leonie says, any thoughts about hot food that kids would like? Couscous is too messy and we're running out of pasta ideas. I've seen some really good lunchboxes actually this year about keeping food hot. Um, and uh, I know... I know it is warm out there, but air-conditioned classrooms are real. And I do think there's a, definitely a good place for, for hot food for lunches. How can you help Leonie out? So I think um, finding hot food and then finding school lunches and then finding something that the child likes, it's, you know, very fine balance that you need to balance. So some ideas that I can think of is possibly making, you know, your own chicken nuggets, um, baking them instead of frying them, of course, but not buying the frozen kinds, maybe some sweet potato fries with that. Um, kind of keep things exciting because you don't want to come back and see that, you know, like you said, Helen, the lunchbox is, lunchbox is completely untouched. Um, so that could be an idea. A lentil chili, if your child is slightly older and they would probably enjoy that, is another idea for older children. Um, another thing I can think of is you can probably make like uh, burger patties 
from whatever kind of protein source you like, maybe chicken, maybe another meat source, uh, tofu if you're vegetarian, uh, or even lentils with some quinoa in it, um, some chopped up veggies, bake them, they do stay pretty warm. Uh, you can add a sauce on top of that. So those are a couple of options that if you want to move away from the pasta, uh, you could also do quesadillas in whole grain Ooh. tortillas with a protein source, with vegetable source, and then maybe some salsa with it if Sounds your child likes great. that. Great. Thank you for that. Um, there's no name on this message. And as I always say, you don't need to put your name on if you'd rather not. Um, anonymous asking, our son is eight and has visibly gained weight over the summer. Usual mix of holiday food and fewer sporting activities. I don't like weighing the kids, but wondered if I should to get an idea of his BMI. Great question. Um, thank you for that. And thank you for raising. I think, um, as I said earlier, on my kids diet habits have gone completely out of the window over the summer and I'm looking forward to a bit more routine on the food front and definitely a few more activities and get them back into into the swing of things. Um, How do you feel about weighing kids and is BMI chart an accurate way of judging where they should be? Um, I don't think it's accurate and I don't think we should be doing it on a daily basis. So a BMI for us um, is just, you know, just for us as healthcare professionals to get an idea of where you lie on the scale. Uh, I don't think it's a measure of success or any of the things that we did use weighing scale in the past for. So I don't think you need to weigh your child unless, um, you know, after things go back to normal, you're a little bit more in a routine, they are physically active and everything goes back to normal. If things don't stabilize after that, give it a couple of months, then maybe you could weigh them and see, uh, visit a professional and see what can be done in that situation. But as of now, I don't think it's cause for concern because it does, from what you're telling me, it's relating back to a little bit of holiday weight gain and routine changes. So I don't think it should be an issue. Thank you for that. Um, and for us, I really hope you're going to say something favourable because I went to the cinema the other night and mindlessly ate about a litre of popcorn. For us, is saying thoughts on popcorn as a snack, please. Kids love it. Has it got any nutritional value? Is there any way you can make it um, a bit so-called better or do you rate it? Absolutely. So it can be a healthy snack. I wouldn't say it's always a healthy snack. Um, The cinema popcorn, unfortunately not because there's a lot of oil, butter, salt in it. But when you do want to make it a healthy snack, I would say combine it with something that does have a little bit of protein. Because again, going back to my point of we don't want to carbohydrate load and carbohydrates, popcorn is only carbohydrate. So maybe combining it with some nuts, making it a trail mix out of it or just eating something that has protein on the side uh, with the popcorn can make it a lot healthier. Um, Also, don't add in too much oil, butter or salt to be able to make that popcorn. The lesser, the better. And always choose organic popcorn when possible. Thank you for that. Last question. Pinterest is um, something I wish I had an interest or indeed a talent at. And it's endless pages and photos of the most beautiful you know, little bento boxes and sandwiches cut out in shapes and these little, you know, snack pickers. And does it matter how pretty our kids' food is? Can it be helpful or is it just a big old waste of time? So I think it depends on your child. Um, if your child responds well to food that looks pretty or plated, then yes, it does make a difference. But there are a lot of children who don't respond too well to that. I don't think it makes much of a difference to them. 
A lot of the times, more often than not, it does make a difference. Uh, I would say experiment, see what your child responds to well, see um, what's more likely to come back untouched. And if both are the same, then it doesn't really matter. And last question to you, when is it time to come and see a dietitian? Um, we know we've had a few concerned parents and I've, as I said, I'm certainly in that group after a summer of total indulgence. When is it time to bring in the experts and really get a handle on our children's health on the food front? So uh, I think right about now would be a very good time to kind of start off the semester very well. Uh, before the holidays, again, it gets a little bit tough and then the holidays are very soon. So um, you, you're not very able to implement change, if that makes sense. So I think now would be a good time or anywhere absolutely any time that you're struggling is always a good time and when you're ready to make change. But um, right about now, not before the holidays, not exactly after the holidays. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And as I said, you can find that at Valiant Hospital. Um, interesting here from Sahel saying, yes, I agree with not weighing children or weighing yourself with respect to weight loss as a fitness ambassador and personal trainer. I encourage people to look at body composition, not weight. Interesting indeed. And as I said, if you are looking for some expert advice, you can find um, them over at Valiant. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, it has been a few months since plastic bags were no longer available. So what has changed and what has been going on behind the scenes at Spinneys? We're joined now by Sophie Corkett. She is the brand sustainability manager. And if you've got any questions for her, by all means, get in touch. Sophie, there, a question to you. If you were going to win 500 dirhams to spend in Spinneys, by the way, your office is above Spinneys. So I'm <laughs> sure you're in there daily. What would you spend it on? I know it's a liability, isn't it? I can imagine. Well, at the moment, we actually do have a very strong sort of nostalgia cereals range. So oh, like what? <laughs> We've got all the kind of choco pops and, you know, the loopy things with marshmallows inside. So I could just go and have a kind of, you, you know, stock the cupboard. cereal. Um, I wish they'd bring back binge. ricicles. They were my, yes. Ricicles were great. They were the best. I'm start, right, starting the petition. <laughs> uh, you can't win the prize, I'm afraid. You're, you're a friend of the show. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Let's, t- let's start with that plastic bags because... Obviously, you know, I'm in store all the time, probably not as much as you. And it kind of warms my heart when I see people of all ages, nationalities um, going in with their bags for life, you know, going in with bags they might have bought in the past. So what impact do you think that plastic ban change has had on behaviours? I think it's had an absolutely massive change kind of overnight, to be honest. I mean, we've seen all sorts of new behaviours popping up. We've seen people with trolleys, you know, coming in. We actually do fairly good trade of good old-fashioned kind of granny trolleys. Oh, we love them. We have a granny trolley. <laughs> it's not tartan, though. It's a bit disappointing. I know. It's like a spinny's green. It's pretty, it's pretty you know, we've got we to gotta pep up our it's a um, cool, trolley it's a, cool, it's a cool granny trolley. It's not bad. But yeah, you know, all sorts of things. We've got the foldaways. We've got the pocket bags. And we have people just, you know, using, using their hands for kind of smaller purchases. And even some people bringing in um, big plastic containers, like big sort of storage boxes, it's putting them idea. in their trolleys and then just lifting them straight into the car at the end of the shop. So it's a great idea. People are being really creative and people have really got on board with the changes, which is great to see. You've also introduced that new sustainable bag as well. So in- encouraging that reusing um, and there's some incentives there as well. There are. So, I mean, we want to make it as desirable and as easy and as economical as possible to do this. So um, along with, you know, fantastic range, we're trying to give something fashionable with the sort of remake of the old spinny 
any single-use bag into that beautiful kind of upcycled bag. So, you know, if you're really fancying sort of splurging on something special. But yeah, even if you bring in an old plastic bag and you're just bringing a bag back to shop, we'll give you that little discount of 25 fills off your bill because... We want to make it as incentivized, as, as rewarding as possible mm. to bring back and just reuse. So we've had a big breakthrough there on the plastic bags. It, it, the work doesn't stop, though, Sophie. What's been going on behind the scenes? Because I know there's some pilots when it comes to recycling in particular. What do we need to know? Because one's actually already pretty active. That's right. So, I mean, the long term goal um, in line with what the UAE's goal is, is to really try and keep plastics, keep waste here in the UAE, make it recycled here in the UAE and then get it converted back into product. So we really want to support that long term shift. And it's definitely a long term change, but small projects all help. So the first project that we started was a partnership with Aquafina and Degrade, which is um, Degrade's a local recycling company. And they've been collecting bottles thanks to our fabulous customers at a local store been putting their bottles into a reverse vending machine the vending machine gives you a little ticket to enter into an exciting prize draw we had one very lucky winner earlier who's won a fabulous meal at low beautiful restaurant dinner for four which is you know a hefty um, value attached to it um, to try and make it desirable again to recycle but those bottles excitingly are all going locally down to be recycled in Abu Dhabi and then they're being converted into a polyester yarn um, for our colleagues to wear um, for their shirts. So all the colleagues in that store are actually wearing shirts made of upcycled bottles. That's really cool. Closing the loop. I mean, I'm a yeah. firm believer that we all, want, we all want to do better. We all want to do well. But sometimes we just don't know how. And, you know, if anyone can make life a little bit easier, you know, as you say, you, you come in with your bag for life full of plastic bottles recycling, put them in a reverse vending machine, your bags are empty for your shopping to go home. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. So you're talking you know, about bottles staying as bottles as well. Ultimately, that's the goal, 100%. Um, I mean, we don't, what we want to do is keep that plastic going around in a continuous loop. You know, the plastic that goes into making bottles and food packaging is an amazing resource because mm-hmm. it, can be, it can be recycled infinitely as long as it's well sorted, well recycled. So that's the long-term vision. Um, yes, but at the moment, there's a few very small barriers to that. But I think over time, we'll get there and everyone's working hard. The government's working hard. You know, companies in the private sector, experts are all trying to get all that regulation in place to make the shifts happen but we also need the consumer change that's why we're trying to drive that with spinnies thank i think it's really important to hear what's happening behind the scenes because often we see something as it's announced rather than what might be you know worked on and thought about and and trying to pushed so thank you for thank you for that um it's back to school next week um, no. I'm feeling a bit, feeling a bit, a little bit overwhelmed about it after speaking to that dietitian who's now scared me. Then <laughs> doing a very bad job of parenting my children on the food front. Um, but it's also back to school for your farm to table academic program. For anyone that's not familiar with it, and there's some great information up in my local spinnies all about it. Can you explain a little bit about what it's all about, who it's for and and what you've done so far, Sophie? Absolutely. So Farm to Table, we're so proud to have launched this last year. It's an educational outreach programme open to absolutely any school in the UAE, free of charge. Um, What we're providing is five modules of learning content for schools to deliver to their students in their sort of free sessions and additional curriculum time. Um, And it's all about how to eat and live sustainably. So all the basics of all the topics that you were talking about in the session before with the nutritionist, what's a good balanced plate of food, what is energy balance, and then all those kind of more interesting and intriguing questions about where does our food come from in the UAE? How has it been grown here locally? 
Um, and we're really just trying to get young people, sort of seven to 11 year olds and parents and families um, interested in food and asking mm. questions about it, where it comes from, to help us be more mindful, help us live more sustainably. We had a, an interesting conversation when we were queuing up to get on the plane. And my, one of the modules my daughter did last year, the seven-year-old, was about um, saving the orangutans, about palm oil. I tell you what, when these kids get hold of information, I mean, there's a, a tiny soapbox was brought out by my seven-year-old. She's like, literally went around our house after after school one day and was like, daddy shouldn't be buying this. This toothpaste is a no. And at the airport, she was like, um, I think I bought like a Coke Zero or something. And she was like, well, this one is okay because the palm oil is sustainably sourced. Do you know what that means? Wow. I was like, all right, all right, little Miss Scientist. But it is really interesting that that change, like they're so passionate about it. Like that's the age that we need to be getting them Absolutely. at. Absolutely. How many kids or how many people have you been working with so far on that? So we're close to 8,000 individuals that wow. we've reached already. We have a huge target to reach a million people and that's including parents and families. So we've got lots and lots of outreach and events planned over the coming year, um, including weekly visits for schools to Spinney's. We've got some exciting talks from our beekeeper at Leon store. So we have honeybees on the roof. I want to meet your beekeeper. <laughs> he's such a, lo- he's a lovely man. Get him on the show. Olivier. We must, we must. <laughs> and, you know, lucky students can even put on a beekeeping suit and and have a look at the bees up close and how they're making the honey. So looking forward to that. So any schools really who are interested, please um, check out Farm to Table online. We have a dedicated microsite and register your interest to participate. Sophie, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your time. I'm going to let you get back to the office slash the store <laughs> the um, and keep us posted about everything that's that's been changing. It's been wonderful to have that big breakthrough regarding plastic bags and it's great to see that the good work continues um, and wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.